Welcome to the Friday edition of Transformation Radio. And now as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, our narrative today comes from the book of 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. When we become Christians, we become part of God's family, with fellow believers as our brothers and sisters. It is God who determines who the other family members are, not us. We're simply called to accept and love them. How well do you treat your fellow family members? You know, Jesus never promised that obeying Him would be easy. But the hard work and self-discipline of serving Christ is no burden to those who love Him. And if our load starts to feel heavy, we can always trust Christ to help us bear it. He's the one who told us, Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy, my burdens are light. Now the Gospels twice record God's clear declaration that Jesus was His Son. At Jesus' baptism, there in the book of Matthew chapter 3, and at His transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17. Whoever believes in God's Son has eternal life. He is all you need. You don't need to wait for eternal life because it begins the moment you believe. You don't need to work for it because it's already yours. You don't need to worry about it because you have already been given eternal life by God Himself and it is guaranteed. You have already passed from death unto life. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, some people hope that they'll receive eternal life. John says we can know we have it. Our certainty is based on God's promise that He's given us eternal life through His Son. Religion is all about do. Christianity is all about done. Now this is true whether you feel close to God or far away from Him. Eternal life is not based on feelings, but on facts. You can know that you have eternal life if you believe God's truth. If you aren't sure that you're a Christian, well ask yourself, have I honestly committed my life to Him as my Savior and Lord? If so, well you know by faith that you are indeed a child of God. All right, with that, let's begin our reading today here in the New Testament. December 5th, the New Testament. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become the child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. Loving God means keeping His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by His baptism in water, and by shedding His blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with His testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about His Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this 
are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about His Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. And since we know He hears us when we make our requests, we also know that He will give us what we ask for. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I am not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God, because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and He is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Psalm 124 Verses 1 through 8. Do you ever feel trapped by overwhelming odds? With God, there's always a way out because He is the creator of all that exists, including your circumstances. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. There are no coincidences. There are no accidents. God is sovereign. He's omniscient. And He is in control. No problem is beyond His ability to solve. No circumstance is too difficult for Him. And we can turn to our Creator for help in time of our need. Because He is on our side. Yeah, that's great news for us. God will provide a way out. He is the great way maker when there seems to be no way. We need only trust Him and look for it. Seek the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but just acknowledge Him in everything, and He will direct your path. He will he will be out there ahead of you, going before you. All you have to do is look for the path. Look for Him, the path He's laid before you. David compared this to a bird escaping the hunter's trap. Psalm 124, verses 1 through 8. A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. A psalm of David. What if the Lord had not been on our side? Let all Israel repeat, What if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us? They would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger. The waters would have engulfed us. A torrent would have overwhelmed us. Yes, the raging waters of their fury would have overwhelmed our very lives. Praise the Lord, who did not let their teeth tear us apart. We escaped like a bird from a hunter's trap. The trap is broken, and we are free. Our help is from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Proverbs chapter 29, verses 5 through 8. To flatter friends, 
is to lay a trap for their feet. Evil people are trapped by sin, but the righteous escape, shouting for joy. The godly care about the rights of the poor. The wicked don't care at all. Mockers can get a whole town agitated, but the wise will calm anger. Hey, it's Zach Pruitt here with Transformation Radio. Just a reminder that Monday is Orientation Day at the Refuge Ministries. If you or anybody you know is struggling with addiction, homelessness, or hopelessness, come to the Hilltop Lutheran Church located at 12 South Terrace Avenue in Columbus at 10 a.m. on Monday. Please call 614-991-0131 or visit our website at menslivechanged.org for more information. Thanks for listening to Transformation Radio and have a blessed day. The following audio is from The Refuge Church. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.org. Jesus, we, we come before you as, as a part of your creation, as um, sinners, stumbling, bumbling, just trying to figure out life. And, and we've all got different kinds of things on our, on our radar this morning. We've got things that we're excited about. We've got things that we're struggling with. And I just pray that some way, somehow, we'd be able to to take all of these things and just give them to you, trust you. And I just pray that you would give us um, joy and peace. And ultimately what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks and just this deep rest in who you are and what you've done. And so God, just would you meet us this morning? Would you, would you use this time for us as Christians to encourage one another in your word? Amen. Well, the first thing I think we need to do, the first thing that I'm going to do is really introduce um, what we're going to be talking about for the next, uh, for the next few weeks. And so um, what we're calling this series, if you will, we're calling it Rest. And, and the subtitle is, you know, Finding Joy and Peace in the Gospel of Jesus. But the idea of rest, the idea um, of that can be deceiving in the sense that there's probably images that come to your mind um, that are not necessarily an accurate picture of what we're discussing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of explain what we're going to be talking about, what we're going to be studying. And so according to the New Bible Dictionary, what joy means, the idea of joy is this. It, it, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, joy is consistently the mark or the identifier of, of both individual Christians and the corporate church. It's a quality, it's not just simply an emotion or a feeling. And it's grounded upon who God is. And it comes from God. It characterizes the Christian's life on earth. And it it also anticipates us being with Christ as believers whenever we're not here anymore. Joy. It's a quality, joy. It's more than happiness. It's a state of being, and it's, and it's what defines us as Christians. In the, in the Old Testament, the word for peace is shalom, which means completeness, soundness, 
well-being. So according to the HarperCollins Bible Dictionary, peace means this concept of shalom. Um, the Hebrew word is usually translated peace in the Bible, but it implies, it implies much more than just the absence you know, of, of conflict. Much more than just, you know, we're not in a time of trouble. At the root, shalom means, like I said, wholeness. The word can be used in both um, religious and secular contexts. It's also um, in, in some forms used as a general greeting or a farewell. Shalom is used when one asks of or prays for, for the welfare of someone else. Uh, it, it can describe when someone is in harmony with another person, when one would seek the good or the welfare of a city or a, or a neighborhood or a group of people. And so what we're going to do is we're going to break up this, this topic of rest and finding joy and peace in who God is. We're going to break this up into four weeks. And what we're going to do is we're going to follow the meta-narrative or the overarching story of the overarching theme of the Bible in general. And so really, uh, the Bible can be broken up into four major themes, right? If you were to study the Bible, it can be broken up into four major themes. And those themes are this. First, creation, right? God makes, God creates. The second theme that we find in Scripture is the, uh, what, what theologians would call the fall, Genesis 3, or, or sin, right? The third one is redemption, or Jesus. And then lastly, um, consummation, or the return of Christ. The end of the world as we know it. And so the first point that we're going to look at today is really just, just going to define what we mean by rest. What do we mean when we're talking about rest? And so what we're calling um, this week is we're calling it creation rest. What is creation rest? And, and to follow that meta-narrative, we're, we're going to be discussing creation, the beginning of things. And so first off, I hope that we start picking up on the fact that we're not just referring to rest as merely taking a nap or setting better priorities for our life or being more disciplined. These are good things, but ultimately, these types of things aren't going to bring about the deep rest that we're talking about, the deep peace, the deep joy that we're talking about. These types of things aren't going to bring us the soul rest, God's peace, peace. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, you'll see peace said two times in certain places. It's because peace doesn't quite get across shalom, this idea of absolute flourishing. So in the Old Testament, some of the translators just put God's peace, peace. Peace, peace. Deep peace. God's overflowing, no matter the circumstance, joy. Just resetting our priorities or working harder. These types of things aren't going to bring about shalom. They're not going to bring about the restoration of our souls, the restoration um, of the things that we have influence upon. You know, the things that we're responsible for, whether it be, you know, your kids or your spouse or your work or your education or your art. True rest, true peace, true joy can only be found in knowing who God is and surrendering to Him. And so what I want to do, especially in this first week, is, is I, want us, I want to present the idea that this should be our starting point. 
Anytime we talk about this, this should be our starting point because don't, you, don't we understand and don't, don't we see, what I want us to grasp is that if our starting point is wrong, if our starting point's inaccurate, then the remainder of our process, whatever we're doing, in this case, life and rest and knowing God, it'll be meaningless. It'll be meaningless. So if you start with, hey, I'm going to set better priorities and I'm going to work hard to love my wife and my kids and I'm going to take time for creating spiritual disciplines and I'm going to quit this bad habit. These are all good things, but if this is your starting point, then then it's probably going to end wrong. It's probably not going to work out. Why? Why, you ask? Because any time that you start with a behavior, right? A behavior being, I'm going to quit this bad habit. I'm going to start doing this. Anytime that you begin with the behavior instead of God, you're destined to be disappointed. You're destined to be disappointed. Anytime you try to modify, to change your behavior in order to please God, instead of seeking God himself, you will fail and you'll probably end up being worse off than when you started. And so this breed of, and it's all over the place, you'll hear it all over the place, but this breed of, I'll show you how good I can be spirituality, this, you know, I'll prove myself to you, God, I'll fix this, it will exhaust you to the point of giving in and giving up. but this is what most religions teach. You know? If you really listen carefully, if you really read the text, what most expositors will teach is, you know, they'll try to, they'll try to elicit fear and control and works. Be good, be nice, smile, fix your life. And this, this isn't necessary. This shouldn't be our starting point. This isn't the gospel of Jesus. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is an invitation, if you will, to a party that you never, ever would have been invited to based on your merits or efforts. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is a proclamation that God loves you despite your failings, despite your hypocrisies. Because you all have them. I have them. The injustices, the troubles, um, and all that's wrong in the world, it's the result of, of there being something, something deeply flawed. Not with this or that, with us, with me, with you and I. And we can't fix ourselves. And I think no matter who we are or what path that we're on, no matter who you talk to, I think deep, deep, deep down, behind all of the ideas and arguments, we would all agree, I think, on the fact that there's something wrong in the world. We all have different ideas of what to fix it, but I believe there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us. And we need Jesus. And so the gospel is is good news about how God embraces the weary. The gospel's news about a God who listens to the lonely. The gospel is good news about a God who welcomes in the outsider 
Those who know that deep down there's something missing. Deep down they're made, you know, we're we're made for something more. Deep down um, there's something beckoning them to live a life for God in many cases. And so the first big idea that I want us to grasp in this, in this series, if you will, that we're in, is that the gospel starts with God. The gospel does not start with our efforts. I want us to grasp that. It might seem simple, but if you would examine your life, is that true? Does your pursuit of God start with God or does it start with your efforts? So it begins, Genesis 1, the first book, the Bible's first chapter, opens with a narrative of God creating. From nothing God creates, heavens, earth, light, darkness, days, time, water, air, land. Our creative God does what he does best. He makes, he forms, he creates. He creates from nothing what is. So our text for today reads this. It's Genesis 1, or Genesis 2, 1 through 3. It says, Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he'd done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he'd done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work, and, and he had done in creation. So before we move on, um, the second point that we're going to discuss this morning is that our busyness points to our worship. So what does that mean? We're going to talk about it. So I said a couple months ago, um, a lot of you probably weren't there, but I said a couple months ago, and it it probably sounds kind of weird, but I made the statement, you know, I believe that, you know, the primary religion in our culture is busyness is busyness. Obviously, I don't think if you were to go around and ask people, you know, what their beliefs are, I don't think that you'd have people saying, oh, I believe in busyness, or I worship the God of busyness. I don't think that. But what I'm saying is, is is based on observing how we live, we've equated busyness with fruitfulness, with purpose, with meaning. So what do I mean? Why? Well, first off, we need to realize that as human beings, we were made to worship. So if you're a skeptic or an unbeliever or, or maybe you haven't been around the Bible or, or studied biblical theology, you, you might not be sure about what you think about Christians. And your response to that statement might be, oh, no, I'm not, right? Be like, no, I'm not a worshiper. I'm not a worshiper. I'm not that type of, of, uh, of person that entertains religion. That might be your response, and I understand where you're coming from. But hear me, and I'm going to describe this to you. You are a worshiper. You are a worshiper. And let me put it in this context. No matter who you are, no matter who you are, you are working hard to attain something. And the object of your efforts... Right? The thing at the end of the finish line is the thing in which you worship. So, so some of you might be like, well, isn't worship a religious word? Well, really, worship just means to ascribe value to something. So when we say worship, we're just saying, hey, we're ascribing value to something, to someone. And so when you say you love something, what you're doing is you're, is you're simply attributing much personal value to that thing. It's emotional, it's emotional economics, if you will. 
You know, this thing, this thing over here, it's much more important to me. The value of that is much more expensive to me, if you want to put it in those terms. You know, I love that. And in many senses, that's worship. You know, the thing that you really love, you'll die for it. You'll, you'll, you'll give up things for it. You'll sacrifice things for it. In the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 6.21 says this. It says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting. Interesting phrase. And so I think what this is telling us is that our busyness correlates a lot to the things that we treasure. What do I mean? That we're, we are busy with the things that we treasure. We are busy with the things that we care a lot about. Right? And Matthew says, aha, I, he's saying, and that's what you worship. That's what you worship. That's where your heart is. And so what I want us to understand is that our busyness is an issue of worship. Our busyness is an issue of worship. Your busyness is a heart diagnostic that tells you a lot about what you value. So you go to the doctor, the doctor would ask you questions about how you're feeling, and a lot of the time your answers are diagnostics, they're symptoms that will tell the doctor what your actual sickness is. And so if you go to the doctor and you're like, hey, I'm coughing a lot, I feel weak, etc., etc., I'm not a doctor, but in some cases he might say, hey, you got a cold, take this or that, right? In the same way, your busyness will show you what you value. It's a symptom. It's a diagnostic. And often we think that somehow our busyness means that we're valuable. Or that our lives mean something. That it makes us more important. That we're worth more because of the fact that we're running around doing all these sorts of things. And this isn't necessarily true. Because apart from Jesus, there is no hope. And so somehow, I think, as a part of partaking in what, and, you know, what our culture tells us, whether you know, implicitly or explicitly, um, and partaking in the American dream, you know, going to school, starting a career, making kids, having kids, raising kids, taking kids to every possible event, class, and course possible, Retirement planning, vacationing, sporting events, etc., etc., and all and all this stuff, right? We've we've lost our sense of what rest even means. We've lost our sense of what resting in Jesus even means. And unfortunately, our efforts rarely revolve around the things of God put it this way, rarely our busyness revolves around the things of God, right? So most of you, when you think of rest, you think of sleep, or you think of leisure, or you think of wasting time, or you think of doing something fun. And so again, what do I mean by rest? And this is going to be our third point. That true rest, the kind of rest we're talking about, it starts with God. It starts with God. And I've said that in a couple ways, and we'll, we'll say it in some more ways. So, so if we start with God, Genesis 1.26 says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Interesting phrase. It's not on the screen, but, but just hear that. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. That's what God said, right in the beginning. 
So Genesis 1.26 says that we're made by God, we're made in God's image. The only thing in all of his creating that he says is, you know, he makes something and he says, that's in my image. The only thing. And, and, then, in our, and then in the text we see him creating and resting. So in this context, I'm talking about imaging our God, being like our God. If we're made like that, then we need to image our God by partaking in that rhythm of creating and resting. And I think as a culture, we focused almost all of our attention on creating and we forgot about the resting. And again, resting doesn't only mean to quit doing. Resting doesn't mean that you become lazy for certain periods of time. Resting doesn't mean these things. So what do we mean? I think here's where we get into trouble. And this is where we can check ourselves, okay? And so this isn't on the screen either, but I want you to just, I want you to imagine, there's two, two, two ways that we get into trouble. And the first one is when we find too much purpose in our doing. Where we get into trouble is when we find too much purpose in our doing. The second way we get into trouble is when we find no purpose in our doing. Right? And so, and so the big question that comes out of all this is what in the world were we created for? Did God give us a job upon creation? So let's look at this text. This will be on the screen. This is Genesis 1, 28 through 31. You can follow along up there. You can follow along in your Bible. But that this, the text says this. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. Verse 30, And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he'd made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. If we fast forward to chapter 2, 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And then we fast forward to verse 19 and 20. It says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. So what we see in this is we see God creates man and tells man to create and to cultivate, imaging him, being like him. So you do, do you see that work and rest? It's the rhythm that God started. And since we're made in God's image, it's the rhythm that we should emulate as well. So another question, why did God rest? Because I can, I, we can get why we need to rest, but, but we aren't God. So what about him? Why did he rest? You know, was God tired? Did God need a nap? No. God rested because it was good. God rested because it was good. This will be on the screen. Referring to our text about God resting in Genesis 2-3, the ESV Study Bible says, Rather, the motif of God's resting hints at the purpose, the reason for creation. As reflected in various ancient Near Eastern accounts, divine rest is associated with temple building. 
God's purpose for the earth is that it should become his dwelling place. It's not simply made to house his creatures. God's activities on this day, he finished, rested, blessed, made it holy, all fit this delightful pattern. I love that idea of God's purpose for the earth is that it should become his dwelling place. There's this idea, don't you feel, there's a relational aspect there. God's not this distant God. It's that we are made to be his dwelling place, that we are made to know God. So ultimately, are we created to work for God or are we created to know and to be known by God? That's a good question, isn't it? Are we made to work for him or are we made, ultimately, at the end of the day, the deepest meaning, are we made to work for him or are we made to know him? Ultimately, we're made to know and to be known by God. Tim Keller says this, so what does he mean by resting from our work? Does he mean that we don't have to have a job? No. Obviously, uh, eventually we might do a short series on work, but this isn't the, so this isn't the main thrust of this series, but I need to say quickly that, that the text we just read a minute ago, you know, we see that we were hardwired for work. That everything, what's beautiful though, is if we were to really study that text well about all these, you know, the animals and the Garden of Eden and all that stuff, what we see is that we were made, we were made to image God in our work. And so whether you're, you know, making dog food or counseling hurting people or cutting hair or teaching kids, it's all done imaging our creator God. So obviously that's not the, that's not the thrust of our series, but, but Tim Keller says this, and this will be on the screen, so read this quote with me. He says this, You see, so many of us are trying to prove ourselves in our work. This is the problem. This is the issue behind the issue. So we've got to back up. Before we talk about work, we've got to identify this. He says, We lost something in the garden. When we stood before the face of God and knew him, when we were in a relationship with God, we knew our value. We knew our lives counted. We knew our significance. Now that we've lost that, we have to find it somewhere else. And that's what we're working for. He says there's a work underneath our work. We're trying, and and what happens is, is we try to find significance and purpose and joy in our work. And what we have to realize is those things can only be found in God. So creation concluded with God resting. I want you to think about this, especially you artsy types. This was the first time that any idea was taken. Any idea was, it was simply, it started with an idea. I mean, I'm not God, I can't imagine it, but, but he had this idea, and that idea was, you know, it resulted in a beautiful piece of workmanship. God creating. And since we're made in God's image, we're made to create. I just want us to think about this for a moment. Holy. There's this word holy, and it's, it's the word that the Bible uses to describe God. And it just means otherness. Like, like it's hard to describe even what holy means or, or how to describe who God is because when the Bible says that God's holy, it means that God's like uncategorical. That he's, you know, he's under a file that's just titled beyond comprehension. And when you look around the world, um, it's the opposite of God. It's the opposite of holy. The story of our world, it's marked by sameness, 
Corruption is normal. Greed is normal. Uh, Abuse is normal. But God has called us to be holy. To be totally other. To be artists, if you will, in the way that we live our lives. We We don't live the same narrative of this world. We're called to be holy, separate from evil and sin. Marked by our devotion to God. We're to be totally different from our cultural narrative. Our cultural story. And a life that's void of this type of creation rest, knowing that we're children of God, it will inevitably fall into legalistic religion or licentious irreligion. I'm going to prove myself to God, or I don't even care about God. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And the gospel is about grace, goodness to those who don't deserve it, which allows us to find our deepest hopes our deepest joys, our identity, who we are in Christ. But the gospel, it goes against the default modes of our hearts. I want you to hear me in this. The occupational hazard of every Christian is to fall out of grace and to work to maintain our right standing before God. But the gospel of Jesus is a message of grace, not based on what we do, but based on what Jesus did. Every other religion, and we've said this many times, we're going to keep saying it because every day we struggle with this, that every other religion is man working to get to God, and Christianity is about a God who came to be with man. It's beautiful. It's totally different. A life void of creation and rest will become a life it'll become the life of a tiresome legalist. Constantly trying to prove themselves to others. Constantly trying to prove themselves to God. Or it will just result, if if you're somewhat religious, it'll result in some catatonic, soulless individual that might, they might identify themselves with a certain church, but it's evident that their nominal religion is just busyness and vanity and self-centeredness. These are the types of people that they talk about a God that they don't know. And it's these types of people that confuse unbelieving folks. It's confusing. And for some of you, this idea of rest, this idea of presenting your sinful, bare self, completely honest before God, it's it's foreign. It's foreign. You feel confused because deep down, you might, you might have started to try to obey God, but not because of gratitude, not because of sheer grace. You're obeying God, hoping that your effort will somehow save you. And in that, your obedience is still some form of self-salvation. You're still trying to do it yourself. And if that's what you're doing, then you're not experiencing the gospel of grace. You've not, you probably, if I were to guess, you probably haven't conquered some of your deep sins. You know, your secret sins. Think about the things that you're doing right now that nobody knows about. If we were to put up on the screen or if you were to come up and tell us, well, you would just be humiliated. And you think, I think many of us, what we do is we think that working harder is the answer, and it's not. 
and it never will be. You're exhausting yourself. You're exhausting the people around you. Why? Because you're not resting in Christ. Because you don't really understand the gospel. Because you've not experienced God's peace, peace. And if we think about it, no wonder unbelievers don't want to know our Jesus if this is the kind of life we're living. So let me present a new kind of evangelism, right? What if we as Christians were so found in Jesus, were so centered on Christ's gospel, so overwhelmed and surprised by grace that it produced a people that, that was at peace no matter what the circumstance? Wouldn't that be encouraging to the people around us? And you know, what some of you, what some of us need to hear today is that if you're addicted, you know, if you're struggling, a lot of you, a lot of us, we're addicted to all sorts of things. We've got habits and bents and desires that we're ashamed of. But you know, if you're addicted to being a perfect mom, to people-pleasing, to pornography, to donuts, to bourbon, to pills, to sex, to success, to money, to acceptance, to perfection... You know, Jesus died for that stuff. He died for that stuff. And, and you know what's crazy is you're welcome in his family. You're welcome here. And, I th- and, and what the Bible calls us to do what the, what is we're going to call you to repent. We're going to call you to confess. But your transformation isn't going to happen when you finally build up the right amount of willpower. It's going to happen when you set your sights on Jesus Christ. When you find Jesus, when you find Jesus' gospel of grace beautiful, when you realize what it cost to save you, to offer you relationship with a completely holy, with a completely just and perfect God, only when you come to this place of beautiful brokenness will you be able to practice this kind of rest. So, it's an invitation, right? The gospel is always an invitation. It demands a response. Jesus is welcoming you in. And and really, my hope is that the refuge would be a safe place where you can wrestle with this process of becoming more like Jesus. And it starts with surrendering your life to him. It starts with saying, God, I've been living my life entirely for me, and and I want to live my life for you. And so if you find yourself just exhausted this morning, you know, just exhausted, uh, the good news is that Jesus welcomes you as you are and invites you to know him and be loved by him. And so the worst thing I think we could do today is for me to get up here and say, hey, if you're exhausted, you need to do this and do this and do that and do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just ask yourself why you're so exhausted. Begin to ask yourself, why am I busy? Why am I tired? Why am I lonely? Why, what am I exuding effort towards? And I simply just encourage you to, to pursue Christ. Ultimately, God rested in Genesis 2-3, our text for today. He rested foreshadowing the ultimate rest that Christ would secure on the cross 
where he'd make a way for us to be with God. It's beautiful. And so really, I just want us, man, I think it'd be, it'd be crazy if I didn't exhort you to, to accept Jesus today, to follow him, to know him by reading, by reading the word and, and, and reading the Bible. And if you want, if you need anything this morning, if you need prayer, I'm more than, more than willing to pray with you. We've got people that in the back, um, when people are taking communion, there'll be people off to my left, your right, that are more than willing to pray with you. And if you make a decision to follow Jesus today, if you're struggling in a certain way, please let one of us know. Because we want to, this is why we do this. We want to do anything we can to encourage you, to answer any questions you may have, to serve you. And so, and so that's that. So if you would, let's, let's pray together. Jesus, you're the answer. And you're, you are where we find joy and peace. And God, if we were all really honest, we would, we would confess that we're all trying to prove ourselves and find, especially there's a lot of young folks in here, me included, that, you know, the young part of your life, you're just trying to prove yourself. Prove your worth and do something important. And then there's a lot of other folks that they just, you know, like I don't, you're just exhausted, you know. They got the, the family thing going and they got all these activities and they're just tired. And then God, maybe there's people in another, another stage of life where they just, they have more time or they have more things, but, but they still, are, it just gets filled up and they're just, they don't really know why they're doing what they're doing and they don't, you know, they're just, they're often tired or there's not a lot of purpose. And I just pray, God, that for everyone, wherever we're at, whatever stage of life, whatever, you know, things that are going on, I believe the gospel, that Jesus, you transcend all of it. And that the answer for each of us is not to do more necessarily, but to say, but to pursue a relationship with you. Because God, I don't want to be a church that is just a handful of people that talk about a God that we don't know. My prayer for us is that you would be the first person that, that we that we counsel with, that God, when we have when we're angry and we're tired and we have questions, that you would be who we go to. That we wouldn't be a church marked by gossip and a church marked by uh, just animosity and, and fear and, and and all these sorts of things, or that God, when the when the world looks at us, that they would see a people like an axis, people that just loves one another so much. Some way, somehow, I pray that you would give each of us just this. You just take any lens off of any lies, and then we would just see that you are good and that we would be able to begin resting in you, which really means to find our identity in you, to find our deepest joy in you. That ultimately what really matters is to, you know, just like, just like that we talked about, man, that, that it's really about communing with you. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from the Refuge Church in Grove City, Ohio. For more information about the Refuge Church, please visit therefugechurch.org.